0: Thank you, Luke. Good morning and welcome once again to our Family Bible Hour. This week we once again resume our studies on the book of Genesis with chapter 48, verses 1 to 22, which will serve as our main text for this morning's sermon. And I want to thank Luke for reading the text in its entirety for us uh, just a few minutes ago and for his willingness to so many of these messages, he he's read all these chapters for me before I delivered the messages in the previous years. And that sometimes can be a burden, can be a nuisance when he gets all these emails the night before. Luke, will you read that for me? Oh, sure, I will. <laughs> he always says it with a cheerful heart and uh, Thank you very much, Luke. Uh, it's, it's been a joy asking you to do it because you've done such a good job. And though I have preached uh, many different messages on different books of the Bible during those years here at Faith, the book of Genesis presented me with some of the greatest challenges. It tested both my patience and perseverance in continuing to systematically preach on this book chapter by chapter. And yet, no other book of the Bible has been more viciously attacked by the enemy of the cross than the book of Genesis. For this book is foundational to our faith. The Lord quoted from this book more (coughs) often than any other book of the Bible when he taught his disciples on a variety of topics. The book of Genesis clearly tells us how the worlds were formed, who formed them, why life began, what happens after death, why there is sin and suffering in the world, and why we all need a Savior. It also tells us who the one true living God is and how much he loves each one of us. It also tells us who is behind this terrible thing called sin and much of the suffering in the world today. In addition to the history of this world, the book of Genesis spends a great deal of time talking about God's chosen people, the nation of Israel and the promises which he has made to them. They, of course, have right from the beginning become the object of Satan's wrath and consequently have suffered as no other nation before them. For if Satan were to completely destroy this nation, which God chose for himself, then all of God's promises made to them would fail, and Satan would have the victory. To not understand clearly the book of Genesis is a terrible detriment to one's faith and walk with the Lord. It opens up all sorts of avenues to false teachings the major one being evolution, which results in the denial of the need of a Savior, since there is no such thing as sin and God. Therefore, we carry on here at Faith with this marvelous book of beginnings. And this morning, we have once again the joy and privilege of studying together Genesis 48, verses 1 to 22. So if you still have your Bibles handy, would you please... Turn with me to Genesis 48, verses 1 to 22. But as always, before we begin, let's ask the Lord for his blessings. Father, we thank you so much for the book of God that we have in our hands this morning. We're thankful that thou has preserved every word of it so that we can trust our souls on it. And then, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God will be pleased this morning, as usual, to open our hearts and our understanding to the text before us, so that we might glean from it what thy will is for each of us this morning. And, Father, we know that in this day and age, uh, many are turning away from the things of God, There is a growing apostasy in the churches of God, and for that we are deeply grieved. But we pray, Lord, that this little assembly, though we be small and very weak and totally dependent on Thee, we pray that we may be able to hold fast to that which we have been taught. And if need be, Lord, when we are rebuked or chastised or disciplined, that we would learn from that and be drawn closer to thee and to thy son. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen. If you recall from our last sermon on the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 47, verses 1 to 31, we found Jacob and all of his household finally settled in Egypt In the choicest of all the lands, in the land of Goshen, where he and his family were able to raise their flocks and to prosper under the care and provision of Joseph, his son. In the final few verses of chapter 47 of Genesis, we are told that Jacob had now been living in Egypt for 17 years and was now 147 years old, verse 28. And the time of his departure was now close at hand. And so he instructs Joseph, when the time comes, to bury him in the land of Canaan where his fathers were also buried. And so Joseph gives his father Jacob his solemn word that he would carry out his father's request. Now we come to chapter 48 and find that Jacob is very ill and sends for Joseph to come to his bedside where he, Jacob, might bestow upon Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, their blessings, and in the process have an intimate discussion of his own life and struggles during his journey in the land of Canaan. Jacob begins his story in verse 3, And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Jacob proceeds to relate to Joseph his journey of life and how the Lord was with him and provided for him. God had also reaffirmed the promises which he had made to his fathers Abraham and Isaac before him, that he would make him fruitful and multiply him and his seed and make of Israel, that is of Jacob, a great nation or people, and give to Israel this land to them for an everlasting possession. Verse 4. Now, though we are not told here specifically in this passage, I believe that during their talks together, after such a long absence, that both Joseph and Jacob shared with one another, their challenges, and their triumphs during their journeys of life. It is quite probable that Jacob may have also revealed to Joseph how Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord back in Genesis 32, verse 24, and how Jacob would not let him go until he blessed him. Jacob may have told Joseph as well that he named the place Peniel, which interprets The face of God. Jacob may have also had a limp all of his life as a result of that struggle, for we are told in Genesis 32 25 that the angel of the Lord touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. In moments of departure, Fathers also always have very serious and intimate talks with surviving sons, especially those who would be expected to fulfill the father's dying wishes. And during those talks, fathers often relate the faithfulness of the Lord and in their lives so that the children might be encouraged and admonished to continue walking with God and trusting him for all their needs as well. There is nothing more encouraging to a dying father than to know his son or sons are living by faith and acknowledging the one true living God in all their ways, as Joseph did. Next, we see in verse 5 a most intimate verse. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And what Jacob meant by this was that he was not only receiving the Mass, his own grandsons, which entitled them to all the privileges and rights of his other grandchildren, but that he was also adopting them as his own sons thereby bestowing upon them even greater blessings than otherwise would have been theirs and what a wonderful picture of Christ's own saints being accepted in the beloved and adopted as sons by God the Father whereby we cry abba father romans 8:15 this he tells joseph while he stood there with his two sons by Jacob's bedside. However, now his sight is nearly gone. His body is very frail and consequently unable to make out the shadowy figures beside Joseph. During those 17 years in Egypt, it is most probable that Jacob spent time with Joseph's sons getting to know them as grandfathers often do. And it is also probable that he would have related to them many of his own experiences with God of Abraham and Isaac so that they would have some knowledge of God. So Jacob asks Joseph in verse 8, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, they are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he, that is Joseph, brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Do you see how Jacob's love for Joseph has been extended to Joseph's sons. Jacob, though unable to see them at this stage, nonetheless, he loved them as much as he loved Joseph. They were born to Joseph in Egypt when he married Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, we're told in Genesis 41:45, And through her he had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And as far as we know, he had no other children. So at this stage, Ephraim and Manasseh were about 20 and 21 years of age, Manasseh being the elder. They were not much older than Joseph when Joseph had been sold into slavery slavery years ago. Again, as we have already briefly mentioned earlier on in the message, it was very probable that when Jacob arrived in Egypt 17 years ago that Joseph in those early years may have given his two sons many opportunities to visit and to spend time with their grandfather as well as their uncles and aunts, etc. It was then that Jacob may have taught his grandsons of their heritage and made them aware of God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac and And Jacob for what grandfather would neglect to tell his grandchildren about the marvelous things that God has done for them so when the time came to receive their blessings from Jacob they already had some knowledge of the one true God but please notice here again it is the younger that receives the first blessing rather than the elder, And Joseph, thinking that his blind father was making a mistake, attempted to guide Jacob's right hand from Ephraim to Manasseh, saying in verse 18 of chapter 48, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. Though Joseph seemed quite displeased, Jacob knew what he was doing and conferred the greater blessing upon the younger. You see how God's free grace often confers upon the younger rather than the elder the favors of his covenant. Abel before Cain. Isaac before Ishmael. Jacob before Esau, Judah and Joseph before Reuben, Moses before Aaron, and David and Solomon before their elder brethren. And thus Jacob confers his blessing first upon Joseph and then upon Joseph's sons while refusing to reposition his right hand. Verse 19. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. In other words, I know what I'm doing, son. God is my guide, and it must be thus. He, that is Manasseh, also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And history would verify Jacob's blessing upon Ephraim later on. For the tribe of Ephraim would one day be more numerous than Manasseh. And also out of the tribe of Ephraim would come one day Joshua, one of Israel's greatest leaders, then this very short chapter comes to a close with verses 21 and 22. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you, and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword. And my bowl. And thus. Comes to an end our sermon. As well. But you always know that before I step down. From this platform I must ask you. Where you stand this morning. Before a holy. And a just God. Whom we have all offended and rebelled against. Last week our. Son David gave a very clear message on complacency in the church. And in that message, he clearly described the very sloppy approach that a lot of us have towards our walk with the Lord. Often choosing to be elsewhere on Sundays rather than in church where we ought to be. And also the growing indifference that many of us have towards the study of the word. And if we desire to be more spiritually, more spiritually fit, then we must do something about it. And the first thing we ought to do is to ask ourselves, are we really in the faith? And so I ask you once again, where do you stand before God this morning. Some of you may think that I take these things a little too seriously and too dogmatically. And that is because in 1981, when I got saved on April the 4th on a Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, I had been rescued from the cult of Mormonism. And during our walk with Mormonism and uh, our being indoctrinated into that most wicked and evil religion, both Linda and I were experiencing actual manifestations of demonic entities. For in the back of that book, there's a prayer that asks everyone who is investigating the Church of the Mormon, Mormon Church, whether the Book of Mormon is actually the Word of God. And if you pray that prayer accurately, then there will be a satanic manifestation that will deceivingly acknowledge that, yes, the Book of Mormon is indeed the Word of God. And they call it the burning of the bosom. And when that takes place, you are overcome with such a frightening fear A dark fear of everything, of being left alone. It is an uncanny fear. And for us, the powers of darkness are very real. Many Christians only read it in the book. They have read examples of it. To them, it's only in their heads. But for us, it was a living experience. And when I say there is but one way to heaven and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ, I say it by experience because the wicked one has done everything in his power to deceive the church at large. And what is being promoted in the churches today is an abomination to the Lord. But you won't know that, and I won't know that, unless we are in the word of God, and we have a divinely preserved word of God. That is why we at faith are so adamant about the King James Version, because God says that if anyone take any word out of his Book of prophecy, we find that in the book of the Revelation, the last chapter, then God will take his part out of the book of life. And God is not messing around. And so that is why I have promised, because when I got saved, we were presently going to the United Church of Canada. We were there for three years, and not once did I ever hear the gospel of salvation ever preached, even remotely. Not at Christmas, not at Easter, not at any of the services. I got saved outside the church. And so I vowed to the Lord Jesus that every time I got an opportunity to preach, I would make sure that I presented the way of salvation simply and clearly. And I also vowed that no cult member would ever know his Bible better than I know my Bible. And that is why I behave the way I do when I preach and when I teach the scriptures. I am confident. Thus saith the Lord. If it's written, then it's inerrant. And that is our only safeguard. So I ask you. Have you ever acknowledged your sins and guilt before him and come to him for forgiveness? The Bible tells us in 2 Peter, Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see what the Bible says is God wants all Of us to be saved. But God will not save a single one of us. Against our will. And also that most familiar verse. That even a child has no trouble understanding. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. When Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for the sins of the entire world, God made it perfectly clear by his resurrection that there is only one way and only one Savior for all of mankind. By grace, through faith, as we are once again reminded in Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9. For by grace, are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Unfortunately, so many today who know these verses profess to be Christians, but very few actually believe them and are saved. And oh I trust that everyone here this morning has realized their desperate need of a Savior and has received by faith, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as their own sin bearer this morning. But perchance, if you haven't, or are uncertain, won't you receive him now while there is still yet time? Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for this book called the Holy Bible. Father, we thank thee for thy mercy and grace in seeking out each and every one of us. We thank thee that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that thy love for us is unconditional And we thank Thee, Father, that Thou hast made it so easy for us to be redeemed, to be saved by grace through faith. Because the work has all been done on Calvary's cross by our blessed Savior in the shedding of His blood. And so we thank Thee for Thy great salvation. We thank Thee for this story about Isaac, and jacob and joseph the beginning of time and history and we thank thee above all that this book is error free that we can trust our souls on it thank thee for this morning lord and the opportunity that each of us have had to remember the lord to praise him and to give him thanks for what he has accomplished on our behalf and if the lord be not come may it please thee once again to bring us together next lord's day for we ask it all in his name and for his glory amen